1: Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision.
0: Well, one of the issues we give some attention to on 2020 is the importance of the voice of the church in society. So it's exciting to see the growing number of outspoken Christian voices. One of those voices I think you're going to hear a whole lot more of in the time to come. Is an online talk show host. His name is David Pellow. He's founded the website called Church and State, exploring the intersection of Christianity and politics in society. And David's joining us to talk about the church and the voice of Christians in society today. So a special welcome to you, David Pellow. Good morning, Neil. David, a lot of our listeners won't have heard of your. Our online website, and online talk show website, uh, Church and State. Tell us a little bit about that before we get
1: into a discussion about Christians and politics. Thanks. Yeah. Well, Church and State is uh, is the result of of a journey that God's had me on very, very acutely since the last federal election, now a year ago. There's been lots of preparation leading up to that. Of course, involvement um, strategically in major party campaigns and minor party campaigns at at a state executive level. Um, So there's a bit of experience and insights behind the scenes. But um, after the last federal election, God really pointed out to me how much the church cares about the election the day after when we're all praying for it, but how many of us neglect the opportunity to be practically involved in the solutions the day before we're praying on election day and um, and just generally in between elections as well. Do you know, sometimes I think as Christian believers, uh, we somehow
0: rather separate ourselves. We say our faith is here and sometimes we say faith on Sunday and, and we struggle Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. But when it comes to uh, our ideas about values, because that's what we're talking about, sometimes politics is a... Uh, a significant word that takes us off track too because we're talking about values and we separate politics from our faith. But really, uh, and you're an advocate for this, uh, there ought not be a separation. Our values,
1: our politics, affect the way we live our lives. Look, the word you use, separation, um, reminds me very much of a a common confusion that um, Christians and especially non-Christians have about the notion of the separation of church and state and um, I won't spend forever on that. I've, I've got a five-minute video that explains it still succinctly uh, on the website. But um, the separation is actually best understood as creating a space, an environment, room to move and, and swing uh, in society for the church. It's not to protect the government from religion. It's actually to protect the church from government. And that's, that's a space that we can't leave void because others will fill it. We need to fill that space that's, that's provided for the separation of, of church from government. And, um, that's the influence that we're called to have biblically as well.
0: And of course, once you settle in your own mind uh, what that means, a separation of church and state, really to protect the church from the government, not mm. the government from the church that's right, then it comes down to really this assessment of where my priorities lie and how passionate I might be mm. then about having permission oh, to it, actually be a Christian believer and to yeah. say my values matter
1: that's that's right. look, uh, as I sat in church on July fourth uh, the day after the election last year. Um, The Holy Spirit was just unpacking in my heart the parable of the Good Samaritan and how the the Levite and the priest uh, bypassed the obvious opportunity to love their neighbor on their way to do their religious duty. And it occurred to me that the day before there were hundreds of people that I personally observed passionate about the rights of trees who were out there being practically involved in the solution for the problems they saw in society. And there were hundreds of people out there who saw penalty rates as as the most important issue facing society today, and they were out there fighting for the most important issue that they saw affecting society. And many of my friends who would the next day put their hand up in church to ask God to intervene in the federal election and help give us wise and godly leaders were mowing the lawn when other people who were more passionate about their neighbours um, were, were out there being practically involved. And, and we see that the Good Samaritan decided to get practically involved. And Jesus used him in in this parable as an illustration of just loving our neighbours. He invested his time, he invested his effort, he invested his money, and he took a long-term interest in somebody who would probably despise him if conscious. And the idea that somehow or other
0: the greatest expression of love that you may be able to implement may be the fact that you can vote. Because uh, voting is actually an expression of love. I mean, how do you think about that type of uh, concept?
1: Yeah, absolutely, uh, and and by extension, by extension, any interest in in the affairs of our nation uh, must extend to total interest. It's not just the opportunity to vote, but you must, because at the very basic fundamental level. Um, we're called to be salt and light, and and to have an influence in in our society. And that vote is is actually uh, an obligatory involvement um, from a from a societal level. The government says you must vote, you must tell us what you think, you must have an influence on, on the future generations and and the next five years or next three years or next twelve months of what's going to happen to twenty four million neighbours, and and that's an opportunity to love that we can't. Um, pass up. Now my 13 year old daughter at the time um, she's not old enough to vote, obviously at 13 she's a few years away but she came and helped me hand out how to vote cards because we identified who the person was standing for election in our electorate who was the most likely to represent us and therefore Jesus as representatives of Jesus um, in our electorate and she helped hand out how to vote cards for that person all day she didn't preach, she didn't wear a T-shirt with a cross on it. She was just a concerned citizen helping other people make a a better decision. And she might have got 20 votes that day. So it wasn't just one vote that a a loving neighbour could take a chance to have in, in this beautiful liberal democracy that we have. It's actually the chance to have many, many more votes by influencing again, that influence that we're called to have as believers. I'll talk to you some more about that initiative
0: in just a few moments. I did say we'll take some calls a little earlier today. Let's hear a call. Uh, Jason is in uh, Moralbuck in Victoria. Hello, Jason. Good, uh, good morning. Um, good morning, Neil, and your guests. Hello, Jason. What are you? Uh, what are your thoughts on our conversation? As Christians, we are obliged and encouraged and and commanded to influence... And pray for all our leaders, no matter who they are and where they are. And as in James, I think it says, pray for those who lead in leadership areas. Jason, good thoughts in that, because praying for leaders, whoever they are, sometimes we want to say, well, I'm a conservative or I'm progressive. Uh, I'm going to pray for my leaders. I'm going to pray against the ones that I don't agree with. Uh, your thoughts on what Jason is sharing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, th- there's no question about that. Um, I've heard some people interpret that that we can't criticize leaders because we have to pray for them. Uh, I guess my report, my response would be twofold. One, absolutely, it's an explicit command to pray for leaders. Therefore, in 1940s Germany, would we have prayed for Hitler? A- and if so, how would we have prayed? And another question: back in uh, first century. Uh, Israel did Jesus pray for the Pharisees? He w- and the Roman occupiers, and if so, how would he have prayed for those? So praying for leaders doesn't mean we agree with them, it also doesn't mean we shouldn't call out injustice and oppression whenever we see it. Because this is the interesting thing about being a Christian.
0: Uh, it is drummed into us in church life that Christians bring the good news, we bring the gospel message. What oftentimes isn't brought in the balance is the idea that we confront evil. Now, to confront evil means so that true. somehow or other you've got to raise your voice and you've got to not be timid and mm. cowering in the corner. You've got to somehow find a way to get mm. your voice
1: heard. That's right. Look, uh, one of my favorite verses um, for the imperative, uh, There's no luxury, it's an imperative for Christians to be involved in, in society, is Isaiah 117, where... Uh, he says, you know, cease to do evil, learn to do good. That's basic Christianity. That's, that's discipleship 101. But then it goes on, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless and plead for the widow. Uh, that's a whole lot more outside our personal discipleship. That's public discipleship. We need to resist evil. And uh, rebuking the oppressor is not something that's done internally. That requires social interaction. Thank you so much to
0: Jason from Victoria for your insight today. Great question, Jason. Let's talk about non-Christians and their expectation for what Christians might say. There's this sort of impression that you might get if you look at some of the mainstream media, which is very left-leaning. That that somehow or other, you know, the Christian voice has to be suppressed. Mm. Uh, in your experience, uh, what are your thoughts about the sort of hunger that? Non-Christians have for a Christian influence in society.
1: Look, part of the purpose of my show is to help inform believers about uh, the issues that are going on in reality with facts, data and evidence behind the narratives that we're given. And uh, certainly I get lots of people who reflexively have a knee-jerk reaction to the the title of my show Church and State, and they they you know angrily and loudly say, "What right do you have to commentate on something that might have nothing to do with theology?" Um, that's the loud voices that we hear a lot. And it's very important not to be distracted by them because uh, in, in the live forums that I've been doing where I've invited a very mixed uh, audience, some Christians, some secular, some atheists, it's incredible and and even um, surprising to me that face-to-face these people who won't speak up publicly will come, atheists will say in, in front of a packed room, uh, they'll come up to the microphone to ask a question and they'll say, hi, I'm an atheist and I believe Australia needs to be re-evangelized. And I'm blown away because that's so contrary to the narrative that we hear publicly. That's so contrary to the, the noisy, loud minority that we that we hear in social media and everything. And I just want to encourage everybody. The world actually really, really wants the church to speak up. They really, really want uh, Christians to participate in. in in this culture war that we find ourselves in. Um, I've been so inspired by Andrew Bolt, who describes himself as an agnostic, and he's said, you know, where's the church? The church is cowed and missing from the culture war. Um, I recently interviewed Mark Latham, and he describes himself as not a Christian, doesn't go to church, and he believes the church has a place in these these public conversations that are going on. And it's not um, pastors and priests. The church is... Universal. It's every single believer, every single part of the body of Christ.
0: Okay, let's just come back to your online talk show. It's called Church and State, and people can find it when they go to churchandstate.com.au. You mentioned a couple of guests. Uh, who else have you had on of recent times uh, that, uh, that listeners will be familiar with and uh, the sorts of topics that you talk about, David?
1: Um, well... Uh, many of the same guests you've actually had, Neil. Um, Pauline Hansen is, is probably one of the most uh, notable one. Uh, I, I try as much as possible to get a cross-section of, of opinion, so we're, we're not existing in that echo chamber that um, one side often likes to accuse the other of. So I've had Gary Johns on. Gary Johns is, uh, used to be a, a Labor member of um, the Keating and Hawke governments. Um, represented uh, North Brisbane. Um, there, he, he was fantastic. He was talking about the the government owns your body. his, his new book, um, and obviously he was refuting refuting that, but uh, talking about the nanny state where personal responsibility has been replaced by governments micromanaging our our behavioural decisions. Um, and obviously, personal responsibility is is an issue that Jesus would advocate. Um, take responsibility for yourself. Um, so Pauline Hanson was uh, talking about uh, men's rights um, and the, the rough deal um, that uh, men often get in the family law courts. And uh, uh, I think one of my favourite uh, guests of all time would have to be Pastor Andrew Evans, um, uh, certainly one of the the heroes of, of uh, modern Christianity in Australia who under his 20 years of leadership of, of one denomination saw hundreds and hundreds of congregations planted around um, around Australia, which uh, is significant cultural influence. Uh, but after he retired at the age of 66, 67, he started an entirely new career, which I think is uh, commendable in itself. But he, he went into politics, of all things, after, after pastoring and, and started the Family First Party, uh, which has stood in the breach and, and defended uh, Australian culture, and, and and future generations can be extremely grateful for his influence in in politics, defending against many many assaults on things like um, euthanasia laws in in South Australia, and uh, yeah. That, that
0: legacy is huge. Well, there's no doubt that there certainly is a place for an in-depth conversation when it comes to the sorts of issues that are shaping the nation uh, and the sorts of guests and topics that you'll be covering in your Church and State online talk program. And uh, I'll point people to the website, churchandstate.com.au. David Pellow is the founder of that online talk site churchandstate.com.au. He's also working on a new initiative uh, where he's encouraging volunteering for elections that Christians get involved, Uh, candidates on all sides of politics, but ones that are coming from a position that supports a Christian value base. And we've sort of run out of time for that, but I'm sure that there is some sort of link on your website. People can probably get some more details there about that uh, that new initiative. What's that initiative called,
1: David? Is it... uh uh, it's called For Such a Time as This, um, basically borrowing from Esther's uh, theme that uh, that we've been called into, into public life in the nation that we are in uh, exactly at this point in history for involvement, not observation.
0: David Pellow, uh, churchandstate.com.au. David, thanks so much for taking some time to give us your insights today on 2020.
1: Thanks for having me, Neil. It's been great.